You're listening to the Various and Sundry Things Podcast, the Vast Podcast. I am your host, Donna Gay Tyler. Friends, Romans, countrymen, that's Shakespeare. We won't do that one. <laughs> hey, y'all. How you doing? Oh, my God. So much has been going on. So much. You know, every time I push back an episode or push back an episode, like, okay, wait, okay, wait, okay, wait. And then like everything that could happen does happen. And there's so much to, you know, to have to account for. And it's just crazy. First of all, let me give account for my absence. Um, Given out of the guy who's ahead of my life. If you grew up in a black church, that's how folks start testifying. If you did not grow up in a black church, you probably have no idea what testimony service is, but that's okay. That's okay. We'll acclimate you very quickly. Anyway, um, man, what's been going on here? So it's been almost, I, I guess it's been about a week and a half, a windstorm blew, sorry for the pun, through um, central Kentucky and knocked out power. And so we were powerless. I lost power in my house for four days, beloved saints of God and everybody else whoever. Listen, it was rough. And I know it's first world problems, but the lack of access to quality coffee was crazy. The morning after the power blew out, we went out to go get food and coffee first, right? Because that's how we start the day. And the first coffee place we went to, um, a cup of Commonwealth, is that the first place? Good old coffee times. I went to coffee times first. And oh my God, the line was almost out the door. There had to be about 50 people in line. And I am not over-exaggerating. It was so packed. It was crazy. And so then um, I didn't really want to go to Starbucks because I was trying to avoid, you know, lines and all that kind of stuff. And I know Starbucks is, you know, typically quick, especially their drive-through, but I was trying to go to, you know, like one of the local coffee houses. And oh my God, it was just, it was like a lose-lose situation. I was like, everybody's power getting knocked out. And apparently it did. And so I was able to get coffee. Like I used to like Dunkin' Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I did when I lived in Chicago. It was closest to my house, and it wasn't as expensive as Starbucks. And I love their pumpkin coffee in the fall. Oh, I know it's probably full of sugar and other things I shouldn't think about, but it was so good. But uh, Dunkin' Donuts was not hitting um, during the power outage. Um, luckily, they were they still had power, but it, the coffee just it just it wasn't hitting. But a cup of Commonwealth was really good. And then um, I had some really lovely, wonderful colleagues that were offering um, to make coffee for me. Stop by and get a cup of coffee. And one of my colleagues had like a camping setup apparatus thingamabob that she can make her own coffee, you know, sans power, sans electricity. And I was so impressed. She was like, when my power comes back on, you can borrow it. It'll be cool. It's like, oh, thank you. And so after four long, arduous days, being without power, without light, without heat. Now it was okay during the day because you know the sun would come out and warm up the house. But then at night, when the temperature dips back down, then it would get a little bit chilly at night. We had to go out and buy flashlights and candles and batteries, and it was just crazy. It was just really, really a crazy time. So the power did finally come back on, but also um, around the same time, like as a matter of fact, the day before the windstorm blew through. A fire occurred um, in, our, in our school building. And so we've been back to online teaching while they um, do some cleanup there. So like life has been really, really like one thing after another. And I'm not even talking about like national news and things like that. Just personally, locally, it's just been kind of crazy here in central Kentucky. But luckily, um, no um, serious wind damage um, to our home. Um, my school is not severely damaged um, and we should be 
able to get back in the building soon. I don't know when soon is, and I don't even know if the people who are doing the cleanup know, um, you know, exactly how long it's going to take. Because that's, you know, one of those type of processes where, you know, we got to get in there and figure out what needs to happen. And so I'm not mad about being back online. I know it's 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 inconvenient to be sure, but luckily I do have the experience from um, having to pivot during the pandemic when um, schools were shut down and we went online. And so I've been using some of the same tools from online teaching actually in my day-to-day um, in-person classes. So I was not, not too bad to make um, a pivot to go back to online teaching. I know for our students, they prefer online I'm sorry, in person. <laughs> no, they don't. They prefer, and I'm sure their parents will prefer in-person teaching because trying to, you know, some of these kids, you know, I teach middle school and some of them know how to get over on their parents. Yeah, I'm online. And they're not on, <laughs> they're not logged in. They're not in any anybody's Zoom classes. And it's it's also kind of frustrating too because these kids know how to do TikTok videos. They get all kind of gaming systems. They get better phones than I do, you know, more up-to-date phones. But then when it comes to finding a link to log in for Zoom, I can't, I don't know. And, now everybody's, you know, super, you know, um, incapable, right? Incompetent. I can't find, I don't know. Like I told my husband, I want these parents to take every Apple iPhone back from their child. If your child can operate a smartphone, they can get on a Chromebook and find a link. They are killing me with this. Like, no. And I get it. I know the students that we're teaching now aren't the same ones that I had a couple of years ago during the pandemic, but these kids are more tech savvy than we give them credit for. And I'm sorry, y'all parents, they getting over on you. They know how to do everything. They can multitask. Child, if they're not texting from their phones in the middle of class, they're texting from their Apple watches. If they are telling you that they cannot find what they need to find online, they are lying. They're just not looking hard enough because they know how to find TikTok. They know how to make um, make cre- make and create fake accounts so they can stalk each other and post mean things. And I know not all the kids are doing that. But if they know how to do that kind of stuff, surely, surely. These jokers can get online and get to these assignments and get to these classes. They pulling they pulling the wool over you and all of those wonderful euphemisms. They are definitely doing that that part. So yeah, that's what's been going on with me here in Central Kentucky in my neck of the woods. Is that what uh, Al Roker says on uh, the Today Show? How's he doing? So many other things have been going on, on, on. So many other things. Oh my goodness, like. It's really been hard to keep up. Like I honestly had recorded this um, episode and then I paused um, for a little while um, and I needed to actually do some other work, you know, and when I went back to edit it, um, some other things had popped up on the radar and I was like, well, dang it, I need to talk about that too, because then it might be, I don't know, I don't want to be, the information be too outdated, you know, when I present it on the podcast, but okay. So like, so, so like I was going to talk about, um, or I already did talk about uh, Chris Rock's special on Netflix, and then um, the whole situation with these states enacting these anti-drag bills um, or laws, I should say, because you know that's I'm just a bill when it becomes a law. You know, anyway, <laughs> Schoolhouse Rock shout out. But yeah, then there's that, and then there's um, you know the Oscars. It's just so many things, like I said, that are going on. And then oh my God, this clip that I saw. I don't even know if I want to talk about that. But I've, I've been talking about it offline. This clip that I saw with this lady, what's her name? So Jamalia Gooden, I believe is the lady's name. And the clip that I saw, I saw it yesterday. So let's say that it just recently occurred Sunday, this past Sunday, for just a time uh, reference. In the clip, she was talking about, and she called another woman's name in this clip. She's preaching at a church. And she called this other woman's name. And I can't remember her name. And I don't want to say her name because I guess that would be kind of 
Is that just as messy? Well, it is what it is. And she called this other woman's name because she said that this other woman had a word, like, you know, a prophetic word for her husband. And so the Jamelia lady um, said, no, you got a word for both of us. You, you know, not just my husband. And then she went on to say, you know, um, she was from Brooklyn and, you know, in other words, like, you know, she's from the hood. She just, she's just anointed. She, you know, she's not totally, the hood ain't totally out of her, I guess. And then she, you know, went on to say, and you've probably seen this clip if you know what I'm talking. You, if you know, you hear what I'm saying, yeah, you may have seen this clip. And she's like, she's on the mic. This is a female preacher, black female preacher, saying that she's gonna, um, if she catch her in the street, you know, she gonna beat her. You know, her end is what they used to say back in the day when they weren't trying to cuss. Um, yeah, so she she cussed in the in the mic and over the mic, and you know, and it went viral because I saw it. You know, so. <laughs> That makes it viral. <laughs> and then I, you know, I looked at a few of the comments, and sometimes I look at the comments in these um, social media posts, and then sometimes I don't because I know I kind of get an idea like where it, where it's going to go. You know, sometimes the comments it's just foolish. It's just foolishness. Um, I think it was Beyonce uh, told one of her um, proteges. I think it's like Chloe and Hallie. She told them never look at the comments. Do not look at the comments online. Like you post your stuff and then stay out of it because. You know, folks' opinions can really rile you up and sw swing you this way and that way and every which way. But anyway, I did. I went in the, in the comments, and most of them were appropriately, you know, like this lady's crazy. This is, you know, turns people off to church, and this is definitely not appropriate and all that other kind of stuff, which is accurate. And then I saw one comment was like, "Well, I need some further context." What? Like what? What? What do you need? No, you don't. You don't need further context. This lady who's you know, claiming to be a preacher. I'm assuming she's up to give the message. I don't know what else she was up to do. Um, but she just cussed and, and threatened, literally like threatened another woman in her message because, you know, this other woman, I, I guess, had a prophetic word for her husband and not for her or for the both of them. It's like, you know, that's a bit much. It's a bit much. And I don't care what the other lady said, did, whatever. You don't handle that kind of stuff over a microphone. If you're up to give a message or if you're up in front of God's people, that's just not the place. It's not the time. It's not the place. And if you need, if you want to cuss her out and, you know, repent and ask God for forgiveness later, th that's you. But that we shouldn't be in, in that. Take us out the group chat. <laughs> we don't want to be in that. Mm -mm. So then today, touch your neighbor and say today, today, and today, I saw a little bit more of this same um, service, same message. And at the beginning of the clip that I saw today, the lady has the audience repeating after her as she's pointing to apparently who her husband is and saying that this individual is Jamalia Gooden's husband. Let me make sure I got this lady's name right. I'm just saying her name wrong. Jamela. So she's in the in the clip. I'm saying Jamalia. I'm pronouncing it how it's spelled. Jam Jamela Gooden. But yeah, so she's pointing to this man who apparently is her husband and saying that's in the audience supposed to be repeating after her. She's using her, you know, preaching cadence and all that kind of stuff. That's Jamela's husband. And then she, you know, she's going on about when I see you, I'm going to whoop your A, you know, but now this time she pulls the mic down and she doesn't verbalize, um, you know, the word and the audience is kind of like getting with her. It's weird. The organist, <laughs> I hate you right now. Not literally. I don't know who you are, Mr. Organist or Ms. Organist, but the organist is getting with her, you know, adding the whole church vibe, church preaching vibe, whooping, whooping, whatever. 
um, vibe to it. It, it. The whole thing is just a mess, though. I mean, so here's your context. There's your context, commenter. You know, I need further context. context. Well, now, whoop, there it is. Th that's actually worse. That makes it much worse than the original, you know, clip that I saw on Monday. It's, there's no, there's no excuse for that type of behavior. I mean, um, one of the comments that I saw too is like, you know, this streaming stuff has been the death of a lot of these churches. And I don't want to put like, make it out to be the black church in its entirety. It's not, it, it's definitely not. It's not even the whole body of Christ, right? But I will say this, some of this stuff that people are allowing to be streamed live, they need to cut it, cut the stream. When these people start going sideways like this, cut it. It's embarrassing. And it it, it definitely isn't a good look for the church, just to put it mildly. It's not a good look for whoever's individual church. But a lot of these other situations where these um, like really ridiculous, um, really anti-church moments go viral, the church has really easy decisions. Just pull the plug, just turn it off. I mean, if they're live, then of course, you know, anybody that's streaming it can get access to it and record it in the moment. But if it's not, I mean, if if it's live, it's live, right? If you're rebroadcasting it, then please don't do that for the love of peanut butter and almond butter from Trader Joe's. Just don't do that. But in the middle of this lady's message, I don't know. I don't know if it was her church and perhaps that's what it was. Maybe it's her and her husband's church. There's a lot of cash apps in the background too when um in this video. Like, I don't know who all of the PayPal, Unity Charlotte, North Carolina, at, is that Unity Charlotte International? There's a whole bunch of Giveify, Zeal, or Zelle, however you pronounce that, PayPal. Like, that's all that's on the screen behind her. Like, yikes. M maybe she was doing an offering. I don't know. So maybe there's a context for that. But, you know, people point out, and rightfully so in the, in the comments, you know, that's what you got going on in the background. Why this lady's literally cussing out somebody else? And threatening to whoop somebody's behind. That's not the word she used. Just trying to emphasize that. You know, over the microphone. Oh, I missed the important part. And then she tried to justify it with scripture. Like some convoluted pieces of scripture that she was pulling. And this is the one that always kills me. And it just really, it's irritating. You know, people always want to justify their, for lack of a better term, ratchetness with the fact that, well, Jesus flipped tables. Nothing in the scripture indicates that Jesus was cussing people out whilst doing so. And his motivation for flipping tables was because people were overcharging folk right there in the house of the Lord. They were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were engaged in um, fraudulent business practices in his father's house. And if we want to go Trinitarian, in his house, okay? So that's why he became upset. It had nothing to do with, you took my man or you got a frost word for me and this is my husband. And that wasn't what it was. But again, people turn to that scripture and use that to justify any level of bad behavior. I am nobody's judge. I am nobody's jury. But that just doesn't apply. Bible tells us to rightly divide the word of truth. And that ain't it. That's rightly, that's wrongly parsing the word of truth. That ain't it. You're trying to make slap some piece of a word over your bad behavior. And then the audience getting with her. No, Oregon is getting with her. That's comedy. That was... <laughs> yeah, give my old person laugh right there. That part right there, that is straight comedy. Okay, enough of that. Just hot mess. What else is on my list to talk about? Um, 
You want to go to speaking of bad behavior and people getting on my nerves and then trying to justify with, you know, scripture and doctrine and all this other kind of foolishment. Yes, I said foolishment. Listen, these anti-drag bills that keep coming out and Kentucky's got one now that just came out of, I think, of a, a Senate committee. You know, um, I think it's John Stewart. I see. I saw a clip of him on um, Instagram where he was in, uh, interviewing someone, a politician, I'm pretty sure, and was and rightfully dragged him over this dragging of these uh, these drag bills that keep coming out. And the point of his uh, interview was, you know, dude, you all are acting, you meaning the, you know, Republicans and right-wingers and things like that, that keep coming out, coming up and, you know, introducing all this legislation are acting like it's so harmful to kids. Oh my God, it's the drag shows. That's, that's what's been the public menace. Oh my God, not, you know, it's been a pandemic of drag shows and they're so harmful to children and, you know, but what it does is, first of all, it's false. It's just, let's just call it what it is, which is what John Stewart was saying. You know, the number one killer of children, school-aged children, is not drag shows, in, particularly in schools. Um, Gun laws, anyone? No, we're not going to do nothing about that? Uh, okay, yeah, not going to do a thing about that. Not going to pass any kind of common sense background checks or anything like that nothing restricting people's access no we're just going to keep let it go letting it happen you know school shootings proliferate and then every time they do thoughts and prayers and so what's the response let's just pass some anti-drag laws listen i, I love god and i love god's people as far as i know we are all god's people that's, that's it that's it and again i'm not here to uh drag anybody, pun intended, and I'm certainly not here to judge anybody. And I'm upset with the politicians for acting like this is the crisis of 2023. Like, no, this is a smokescreen if I've ever seen one. And then you got Silicon uh, Valley Bank over there failing. Um, now, I ain't got no money over there because what I understand, I need to do a little bit more research on that. What I understand is that most of the um, deposits that were held at that bank were Silicon Valley companies. So not like a whole bunch of individuals and not that, you know, the companies need to lose their money because of course, if the bank is a, a U.S. bank, it should be FDIC insured. Um, each investor's um, deposit is insured up to, is it a hundred thousand dollars or maybe $250,000 of your business? And again, don't quote me on that. I got to look that up. I used to work at a bank. I should know that. But anyway, um, but yeah, in the meantime, you got all that kind of stuff going on. Is it deregulation? What was happening? How did that bank just out of the blue, just is crashed and we're done and we're closed? Like what? What had happened? But again, smokescreen, drag um, events, y'all, that's not it. That's not it. And then the laws are so vaguely written that people are concerned, and rightfully so. You know, trans um, trans persons are concerned that if they appear, you know, dressed up in, you know, men's clothing or women's clothing, you know, as a trans person, that they might be targeted by this law. And not only that, um, of course, it cuts down on pride festivals and things like that. People feel like they don't have the right to express themselves in that way, shape, form, or fashion. And what I think is even much worse, and I just saw something on um, social media today, some older um, appeared to be white woman was um, berating these two um, lesbians at um, a Starbucks. And I forgot what city that was, but the women off camera were asking her like, what's, what's wrong with what we're doing? And she was like, you know, it's wrong. And lesbian, a lesbian is wrong because you target children and you're, you know, she was, you know, um, accusing them of being groomers and all this other kind of stuff. I was like, okay, so that's what you think this is really that nah, the statistics don't bear that out. Sorry. And I know, you know, a lot of church folk want to co-sign on that. And amen, and they going to hell and all this other kind of stuff. You know what? 
I don't have a heaven or hell to put them in. Again, love God, love God, love God's people, the end, and not go about lying. You know, I don't understand how those two go hand in hand. Like you, now you're falsely accusing, you know, LGBTQ people of being natural born predators or natural predators and groomers. That's not what the statistics show. Children are not targeted and groomed by just random gay people. That's not how it happens. It's usually people in their circles, people in their lives that end up grooming and using and abusing these young people, not just random, you know, LGBTQ people in, in Starbucks. Like, are you kidding me? And so that's mean, that's mean spirited, but people will then, you know, clothe that, you know, under a cloak of religion to borrow a phrase from a former pastor of mine, you know, and, and, and get away with it too, or at least try to, but I think Starbucks put out a statement saying, you know, that kind of, um, language isn't tolerated in their restaurants. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that the lady was put out, but like, I literally just saw that online um, earlier today. So I don't have a whole lot of information about that, but it's just that kind of stuff keeps happening though. These laws coming out, I call them fake, um, fake fear laws. These folks keep coming out with all this other stuff. You know, it's like Florida and it's, you know, anti, um, um, African-American history stuff, you know, with the uh, Ron DeSantis, you know, because African-American, there's no value in um, AP uh, African-American history. Like there's no educational value. I think it's the, the term, the phrase that he used, something along those lines, like, oh, okay. So now we're just going to get rid of black history, even though it is American history. And so then you got people that, you know, show up in restaurants and places like that. And then, you know, they, they mistreat folk, you know, because they don't understand them because they don't know about them because they haven't been taught about them. And it could be old people, it could be young people, black, orange, spotted, you know, that target LGBTQ folk, you know, it could be anybody. Um, and, and it's just unfair to target that community. You know, I don't know what is triggering these people so badly besides, you know, making something out of nothing. It's like um, um, CRT, right? From critical race theory, you know, what was that last year or year before last when the Republicans were all drummed up over that, you know, like beaten, beat, beat into a frenzy over that. Oh my God, you know, critical race theory is being taught in schools. And listen, I went to Howard University, have a bachelor's degree from this fine institution, HU, you know, and I was not introduced to CRT. No, I have a, my bachelor's degree, as a matter of fact, is in political science. Didn't know it, didn't hurt, had never heard of those um, initials, didn't understand it. Nope. Not until I heard about it last year. So trust me, we ain't teaching that in elementary, middle, nor high schools. Child, don't get me started. Trying to get these kids to come to a Zoom class, let alone some of them teaching some critical race theory. Oh my God, get out of here. But again, it's fake fear. So they drum people up over these, you know, um, social issues. And then they get, you know, certain segments of the population all, you know, hyped up into a frenzy and they're foaming at the mouth and whatever. And so then they start voting along those lines. And really, these aren't the issues. The, most Americans know, I hope, most Americans know that this ain't, this ain't what it is. That ain't it. That ain't it. Drag shows is not the biggest threat to children in the United States. No, no, not when we have, I don't know how many more guns than people in the United States. Really? No, CRT is not the biggest threat to your child learning in school. Are you kidding me? They need to understand about people and differences and our histories and how they're intertwined. And, you know, remember, remember villainizing the 1619 Project? You know, that's demonic. And like, did, did you even read it? And then when you ask most people, I'm very much off topic here. But when you were at when, when they were asking people, um, was that last year and year before last about what CRT was? They couldn't even explain it. The people who were against it and protesting, I don't know what it is. Then what are you talking about? I had posted something about the 1619 Project when I finally finished reading it. Um, was that late last year? And some random person, again, 
note to self, stay out the comments, even my own comments. Some random person had something negative to say about my post and I, I engaged them and then I deleted it because I was like, nope, I'm not giving them the time of day. But when I did engage, um, I made just one comment and I was like, have you read it? Then if you, and if you haven't read it, then, you know, kick rocks. You don't, we're not, I'm not having that conversation with you because otherwise it's not a conversation. It's a lecture. Like if we are, if we've both read the material and we're familiar with it, then we can have a conversation. We can have a discussion about it. But if you haven't read it, then all I'm doing is lecturing you and I get paid to teach. So even middle school kids. Okay. All right. In addition to the fake outrage or the fake fear that these politicians are drumming up, the other part of it is the hypocrisy. And I don't even know what's worse at this point. Um, I guess it doesn't really matter what's worse, but it's the hypocrisy. So you are probably well aware that the governor of Tennessee, I think they signed, he signed that bill, um, uh, the latest piece of legislation that came across his desk, um, you know, banning drag shows and, you know, that kind of thing to protect the children. And of course, right before he was um, poised to sign it, um, in a, he was outside at an, um, an event and uh, somebody showed him a picture of himself as a teenager in high school um, dressed as a woman at some type of sporting event. And he was like, how dare you? How dare you try to equate that, you know, make that out to be the same thing? That's just innocent, isn't it? You dressed as a woman? Is that the definition of drag? See, maybe I don't know what they mean. I clearly, I don't. I don't know what they mean by drag. Like what but yeah, they, they were ready to drag him for that picture. How about that? I know. Am I overusing that pun? I don't care. It's funny. So he was upset about that, the governor of the governor of Tennessee. And then turn to your neighbor and say, and then, and then, Lord, the lieutenant governor, Randy McNally. I remember his name. It's kind of rhyming, right? A sing-songy name. Randy McNally, it came to light that he was um, corresponding or commenting, not corresponding, but commenting on some rather uh, racy pictures of a young man um, in various stages of undress, um, a gay young man, actually, um, like in his early 20s or something like that. Um, I had the young man's name pulled up a couple of minutes ago. Anyway, yeah, so the lieutenant governor, like I said, it came out that he had been commenting on the pictures. Um, you know, you can turn a, a cloudy day into rainbows or something goofy like that. Like, what the heck are you talking about? And so when the young man was interviewed, he stated that he and the governor had actually um, had a relationship, not, I don't want to say relationship, man, that's not what I mean, um, that, that the governor had been um, commenting on his pictures for for a while that they had had you know interaction for a while. Um, okay, yeah. Apparently, just for um, clarification, the law was signed by the um, governor Bill Lee last Thursday, and it criminalizes quote adult cabaret performances that are harmful to minors. It includes male or female impersonators on public property or where they could be seen by children. It takes effect April one with the first offense being a, mis a misdemeanor and subsequent ones being felonies. Just for a little clarification there, just to add some more information there. I'm looking at this on NBC News online. This just got posted today. Tennessee Lieutenant Governor pausing. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. His social media activity, Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally, a Republican, posted more than 80 comments on a 20-year-old gay man's photographs, photos from early June 2020 to as recently as February 26th. I'm assuming this year. 
Um, most of Van Alley's criti critics have accused him of hypocrisy, noting that while he was commenting on McClure's, that's the young man's provocative posts, he was voting in favor of legislation targeting Tennessee's LGBTQ community. Um, and if you watch Saturday Night Live, they skewered him um, in the the weekend update. There was a skit about him. Yeah, some of his more um, recent comments, I'm again reading from NBC, were on photographs that show McClure semi-nude. McNally posted two comments on a close-up photo of McClure's backside writing, Finn, you can turn a rainy day into rainbows and sunshine. That's what I was talking about. And adding hearts and fire emojis. Now, initially, when he was asked about it, he was like, oh, I just, you know, I like to interact with all of my my constituents and I like encouraging people or something along those lines. And then someone posted online like I'm from Tennessee and I'm a constituent and I've tweeted him, but he ain't never said nothing back to me. Like, mm hmm. Yeah. Um, so in his statement on Monday, McNally noted that his criticism of, of his social media activity is fair, but his accusations that he or his legislative record are anti-gay are inaccurate. The problem is they're trying to have it every which way they can. And it's just, it's, and like I said, this particular part, it's the hypocrisy for me. Like, you know, do you be honest about, you know, how you feel, who you are and all that other kind of stuff and stop targeting these folks. Like, I, again, I said this moments ago, what is it about LGBTQ folk that seems to trigger all of this, like, outrage? It's crazy. This article that I read, I think this is a, a piece by... um. Charles Blow, um, Tennessee and the anti-drag race. Um, I think he wrote in it, he quoted someone else and I wanted to share that too. Um, the point of the law is to terrorize people. That's how Patrick uh, Granzaka, a professor of psychology at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville and the chair of the university's interdisciplinary program in women, gender and sexuality describes Tennessee's new extreme anti-drag law among the first of its kind in the country. Yeah, you know, because a lot of people, I guess, are like, so like, what's the point? You can't, you can't say that this is a big move to protect kids when kids still live in poverty, when kids are still being exposed to so much violence in schools. I'm talking about, you know, living through um, school shootings and things like that. You, you can't say that this is a, a bill aimed to protect kids when you're not really doing anything to protect kids. And so like this professor says, the point of the law really is just to terrorize people. It's it's to make them feel like, you know, like like they're less than a human. Um, and drag, um, this Memphis drag entertainer, Monica Lusk, um, pointed out drag doesn't mean lewd, but uh, drag often frees and sometimes saves. I know those of you who know that I grew up in a um, Pentecostal household are probably like, where, what turn did she make when left her? I just, listen, I just, I don't get it. Just be about it. If you're going to be about it, be about saving kids and be about saving kids. But if you're not about saving kids and you're just trying to target and bully, bully folk, that's why I get off the bus. Like I'm not, not that I don't think I was ever on the bus with them. Like Randy McNally, you gone somewhere with all that craziness. But you know, especially because, I mean, I work as an educator right? And have done so now for a couple of decades, you know, and as a parent, a godparent, all that kind of stuff. Auntie, like if you're going to help kids and you want to save kids, save kids. But other than that, if you're just trying to bully somebody else in the name of saving kids, save it, save it. Um, turning now <laughs> towards, um, I guess, a little bit lighter um, uh, topic, Chris Rock and the Oscars. Well, the Oscars just came on Sunday, Chris Rock had a special, a live special, as a matter of fact, that dropped a week ago Saturday. 
um, Selective Outrage was the name of it. Did you see it? Did you watch it? So full disclosure, I did not watch it. I don't plan on watching it. I've read enough think pieces and heard a couple people. I heard uh, Kevin on stage talking about it on his um, podcast. Congratulations, by the way, if you happen to catch me, listen to me. Congratulations on your um, NAACP Image Award. Um, I enjoy him. He's funny. Um, anyway, uh, I digress slightly. Anyway, I remember hearing him talk about it. I've heard a couple of people talk about it. I've read a couple of articles about it. I've read something um, to Ray, um, uh, you know, big name commenter um, on, you know, uh, social media and pop culture and things like that. He's been around for a minute. Anyway, I read an article that he wrote on it, I think either for the Griot or for the Root. And I saw a snippet of an interview with him and a couple other people. Like I said, I've seen some pieces, um, some parsing of it. I've, I saw an article again, I think in the New York Times about um, Chris Rock's, um, no, actually is it the New Yorker um, by Lauren Michelle Jackson, Chris Rock's live experiment in saving face. Um, and so she writes, um, the weakness of selective outrage lies not just in the specter of obsolescence that looms over certain aging comedians these days. I saw Rock Live in 2017 during his first tour in nearly a decade, working out material that would uh, take its final form in tambourine. Um, and I'm cutting, a, uh, cutting across here a little bit. The problem... Oh, the problem with the new special is that much of the material feels like mere pretense. I have thought pre prelude to the evening's main draw, which has been strategically left for the end, the better to retain rubberneck, rubbernecking viewership, right? I get that, um, why he left it, you know, to the end, but, you know, parts of it, I, I guess, work, Um but the criticism, the big criticism that I heard is along the lines of this um, of that New Yorker um, opinion piece that some of it just felt outdated um, and almost along the lines of like uh, talking points of some of the Republicans, you know, like, you know, people, you know, cancel culture like and woke culture like I I actually hate to see that word. I really do, because it doesn't mean what most white folk mean when they say it. So that's how this commercial, Daniel Cameron, I think is his name. He's the current attorney general. He's a Republican here in the state of Kentucky. And so some, probably some think tank or some PAC committee or whatever is running an ad calling him, you know, labeling him woke or something like that. It's like, you know what, of all people to call woke? Yeah, definitely not Daniel Cameron. You know, he was the one that kind of got on television and uh, tearfully announced that there would be no charges against the police officers who were responsible for the death of uh, Breonna Taylor. Like, yeah, not you, but not you. So he ain't woke, not in any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So like I said, most white people, because they're the ones that are still using it. Black people don't use that anymore. It's like, yeah, y'all took that and, and, and ruined it. Um, because they, they're trying to make it out to be like a slur, you know, the woke, the woke left, like, stop it. You don't even know what that means. Just stop it. But anyway, so like I said, a lot of what I've heard and read about Chris Rock's, um, show essentially is that a lot of the comedy, um, a lot of the jokes were just a little bit dated. It sounded a little bit like, you know, right wing talking points about being canceled and, you know, being woke. Um, this whole thing about selective outrage, well, you know, What's the statement? What's the phrase? A hit dog will holler. And also, you know, targeted groups that, you know, do find themselves outraged. Um, I think they're justified in doing so. So here's my thing. If the groups that people are constantly beating up on, i.e. the LGBTQ community, 
um, minorities, black folk, women, um, people with mental health issues. Who else? Um, favorite whipping boys of um, comedians and folks and things like that. I think they have a right to be to, to holler back, like enough. And I don't mean that in that holler back song. Was that Gwen Stefani? Okay. Anyway, yeah, I enough with it. Like I, I was having this conversation too just recently here. I'm kind of over comedians always, again, picking on folk for jokes and for laughs. If you want to talk about pe people's stupid political beliefs and ideas and things like that, um, W. Kamau Bell, oh my God, he has a very funny stand-up. I don't know if it's still on um, Netflix, but he is a good stand-up comedian. Now, I will also say this, you know, I am not as strong um, a fan as I used to be of Dave Chappelle's. Um, I just kind of got turned off by the the issues that I guess he had with the LGBTQ community, you know, two comedy specials ago. I still think he's brilliant. I used to love Chappelle's show. Um, and, you know, the comedy that, that the type of comedy that he did when he would skewer our understanding of um, race and things like that and culture. Um, what's that one bit that he would that he did? Um, it was the draft. It was the racial draft. Oh, my God. And the Asians took the Wu-Tang Clan at the end. That total genius, total genius. And the other bit where um, the black blind person was a member of the Klan but, and was racist but didn't know that he was black. Oh, my God. And he went to a Klan meeting, took off his hood, and everybody else at the Klan meeting um, you know, realized that he was black and he had been spewing all this anti-black talk. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. But constantly making fun of um, folks for who they are and who they identify as. I'm talking about like, again, these groups that have been targeted by these comedians, you know, kind of ad nauseum at this point. Like, okay. Yeah. So, and you don't expect them to fight back, especially given the, the tenor of the environment that we're in right now, where you get legislation that appears to be targeting folk like this to the point where it empowers, you know, these mean spirited, mean folk to, you know, act a whole fool in, in Starbucks, go in there and get your coffee and get out of there. Like, what do you, what did you think this was? It's not your bully pulpit. Are you kidding me? So that's my problem with it. I understand that some of the jokes he made were, um, he made some jokes at the expense of Meghan Markle, um, you know, like her issues with the, the British, um, royalty wasn't necessarily, you know, racist in, in nature, but just like, you know, not getting along with in-laws and didn't she know what she had signed up for? I think that's been parsed out a lot. And again, I, I would have to agree with the um, writer of the New Yorker piece. Yeah. I think a lot of people have been criticizing her for that, um, especially after the Netflix special that they had, her and uh, Harry had, when she seemed to be slightly kind of, I don't want to say oblivious, but, you know, like, unaware that, you know, race was going to play such a big factor in their relationship. You know, a lot of people have rightly, you know, tasked her with that, like, really, girl, what was you thinking? But at the, the same time, and on the other hand, and all the euphemisms that go there, on the other hand, you have to consider her, her upbringing and her background. She's biracial and was raised fully biracial to embrace both parts of who she is, her her white dad and the whiteness, and then her African-American or black mom. I mean, you know, and up until the point where her father started acting a whole complete fool and trying to get paid, you know, off of the, the circus that became their wedding or the run up to their wedding, you know, up until that, she appears to be very, very close to her dad. So she definitely is going to identify with him. And then a lot of the pictures that um, she showed about her um, childhood and even her young adulthood and working in Hollywood, um, you know, 
it appeared that she was very comfortable in white circles, you know, like she had a lot of friends who were white. So, you know, that didn't seem to be an issue within her, you know, circle of friends. So why would it be an issue with her boyfriend, you know, then fiance and his family? Like she's, so I guess I get both sides of the argument there. And then the larger point here too, with regard to Chris Rock's um, humor and his comedy is that it's just a little dated. Like that's, series came out a little while ago and the whole Oprah Winfrey interview that was last year wasn't it before um she gave birth to the second uh child that they have together but anyway and of course the big brouhaha was over um the jokes that he lobbed at both Will and Jada now I'm not going to call him petty for taking a whole year to you know address it I'm not going to call him petty for that I still got issues with people I was in kindergarten with <laughs> not that I I'm not I'm not still mad at them, but I remember it. You know, it's like forgive and forget. The forgetting is the hard part. Forgiving, I think, is easy. You say, yeah, I forgive you because I don't want to go to hell over stupid stuff like that, right? But you remember how those people treated you. You were like, mm -hmm. maybe if they had had an opportunity to apologize, they would let it go. Maybe not kindergarten. And do I have any kindergarten stuff? Oh, yeah, I do. It was some kids that was real mean to me because I didn't like chocolate milk and I only drank white milk. See, I'm still mad about that, but I don't even remember who the kids were. But yeah, I had some colorism issues mm -hmm, in kindergarten. Like, leave me alone just because I like white milk and I don't like cho chocolate milk. Chocolate milk tasted chalky to me at the time. I just didn't like it. And I don't even drink milk anymore now because I'm lactose intolerant. So anyway, <laughs> fun digress right there. But yeah, um, so I'm not mad at him for waiting so long to address it. I mean, he timed it rightfully. Um, it was a week before the Oscars came out, you know, before the Oscars broadcast rather. And, uh, you know, it's big buildup. I think he's got $40 million from Netflix, not just for that special, but I think, guess for a series of specials, he waited until the end to address it. Of course, you're going to keep people around. You're not going to make your jokes about Will in the beginning of your show. And then everybody tune out because everybody wants to hear what you got to say about the Will Smith situation, because he has not talked about it, except for in his comedy shows, which have been, um, which haven't been broadcast, right? So, yeah. Um, but the problem that I had um, and a couple of other people um, that I've listened to and read that they have with it also is that it, it seems like he took out a lot of his vitriol on Jada. So he held it in Baltimore, which is where Jada's from. You know, he called her to be word several times and he seemed to imply that it was her re her fault um, that Will got up and slapped him when and we've discussed this too. We've discussed this um, ad nauseum, both on this podcast, I think, um, and um, in other places. Listen, she did not say, I heard uh, Dimitri Lucas say, she didn't go sick him, you know, and like Will had to get up like he's a guard dog or something like that and go up and smack smack him. She did roll her eyes at the joke you know, because she has alopecia and, you know, Chris Rock came out there joking about, you know, her bald head or whatever. But, you know, Will Smith, for whatever reason, whatever issues that he was going through, you know, he got up, you know, keep my wife's name out your effing mouth and, you know, all of that. But that wasn't Jada. Will Smith has his own agency. He's a, he's, he's a Hollywood superstar. Well, he was in his own right. And his day is not over. His day is definitely not over because um, even though Chris Rock had garnered a lot of goodwill, um, you know, being the victim of that slap, which I will say definitely inappropriate. You got problems with folk, please don't get up on national television, international television and smack them in the face. That's, that's not the time or place. Definitely. Did I like the joke? No. But again, see, that's my point. You're targeting folk for a stuff that 
is not funny, right? You know, and I've heard people say it's comedians, it's jokes, it's laughs. Yeah, until it's you, then it's not funny anymore. And I guess that's my thing. Find some new material or stop calling yourself a comedian because really what they are are bullies. And this is what we come up against in schools. Here I go relating everything. Yeah, but it is. This is what the kids do. They talk about each other like dogs, not all of them, but they do. When they get down in it, you know, kids been doing this for decades, for decades and decades. They called it playing the dozens back in the day. Your mama jokes and all of the other kind of stuff. We used to do that on the school bus, your mama jokes, until it got personal, right? I mean, and I've heard some really, really mean things. You got to talk to your daddy through a glass. What? Whoa. Hey, 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 too far too far. Um, and these kids are brutal. They're even more brutal, I think, than some of these comedians. Um, but that's the thing. And then they're like, oh, we're just friends. Yeah, but he really does see his dad through glass. He's incarcerated. How is that funny? No, that's mean. It's bullying. It's mean when you're constantly targeting people because of this perceived imbalance. And Chris Rock and comedians like him, they're uber rich. You know, they got a lot of privilege, you know, male privilege and monetary economic privilege and all that other kind of stuff. So they are above all of this kind of thing. So who's going to target them? Nobody. I don't even necessarily call it cancel culture at this point. What I will say is when folks get tired, they just do get tired. I mean, and that's the truth, Roof. Shout out to Ruth Carter, who won another Academy Award for costume design um, for Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. Just weave that in there. But yeah, that's the truth. The people just get tired. So is it canceling? I don't know if it's canceling. I don't know if there's like full out campaigns. That's what I would say cancel culture is. Cancel culture is. When there's a full on concerted, organized campaign to remove these people from, you know, the public sphere. So like... Um, cancel culture, I think, and again, I think that's one of those terms like woke that people misuse because folks aren't necessarily being canceled writ large. Um, there might be people who are, you know, who may say something like that on social media, but unless there's some, there's some big concerted, like, you know, campaign, I don't think folk are necessarily being, being outright canceled. Um, so Chris Rock, um, and his selective outrage, um, his, his anger is, ire, you know, directed at Jada. I thought, I think that's a misfire right there. Um, and then of course the joke that he made about watching emancipation so that he could, you know, which is the Will Smith movie that came out on Apple plus towards the end of last year, um, where Will Smith played that, um, former slave and, um, the one who's back. Um, I actually saw a piece of it. I talked about it in my very first podcast ep um, episode. There's a, um, a visual representation. Peter, I think is his name. Um, and his back, how it was like um, so messed up and had so many uh, keloids and lesions and things on there from being whipped over and over and over again. And the, you know, the former scar is not healing. And there was a relief piece in the, I think it's the National Museum of African-American History and Culture um, that I talked about in my uh, first podcast where this piece is that I saw um, last summer. But anyway, Will Smith played this character in the movie Emancipation. And Chris Rock's joke was that he had seen the movie just so he could see Will Smith get whipped, which to me falls like a lead balloon. I don't, I don't get, I, I just, I don't see the humor. Like that's not, I, you know, because first of all, in real life, Will Smith wasn't getting whipped, right? He's playing a character in a movie and a very serious movie. So I didn't like, that's not funny. <laughs> it's just, I, I, I didn't get it. But see, Chris Rock hasn't been my brand of humor for a long time. I used to think he was funny, but 
not anymore. Just and it's and it's just it's been before the um before he got slapped. And and I just just not my brand of humor. Um, there was this one piece that um Kevin on stage played on his podcast where um I think it's Chris Rock, Louis C.K. Um, Jerry Springer, and I think one other comedian, and they're having a conversation. And Chris Rock notes that Louis C.K., who was also canceled for, you know, like I think he was fondling himself in front of female employees or something really like icky and inappropriate. Um, but yeah, cancel him, ill. Um, but anyway, um, I think Chris Rock in this clip was saying that uh, Louis C.K. is like um, a real N word. You know how like some black people use the N word to, you know, as a term of endearment, well, Chris Rock was using the word to Louis C.K. And I think then Louis C.K. picks up on it. He starts using it. And then they like turn to Jerry. Uh, did I say Jerry Springer? I hope I didn't. Jerry Seinfeld, not Jerry Springer. And Jerry Seinfeld's like, no, I'm I'm not going to use that word. I, I have no occasion to use the word. I'm quoting here loosely, not verbatim. I have no occasion to lose, use the word. I don't want to. And neither will I find an occasion or a reason to use it. It's like, well, amen. Thank you. And then, um, Kevin on stage and um, Angel, that's his uh, uh, co-host. Um, they were having a conversation about how Jewish people do not play when it comes to the Holocaust, but yet black folk. And I, there's reasons for it. There's reasons whiteness and racism that you know makes us not hold that as seriously, and we tend to joke about it and hee hee and ha ha about it. But um, you know, Jewish people don't. They don't play when it comes to the Holocaust. It's very serious. It should be considered serious. Um, and it's not it's not something that they play with. So I get it. I understand that. And I have a lot of respect for that, too. I, I wish we would, you know, change our tune when it comes to it. And maybe, you know, I don't know. It wouldn't emanate from us, though. It's not it's not us that needs to change the way that we view it. It's this country. You know, they're the country. You know, again, it goes back to my, my comments about DeSantis a few moments ago. You know, you're trying to, you know, snip and cut and cut and trim and trim all of this, you know, black history out of American history, then you know, it's almost as if you're trying to whitewash, turn pun intended, you know, whitewash history and eliminate, you know, the treatment of black Americans in this country that persists to this day. I mean, that's all the 1619 Project is about, you know, the origins of racism in this country and how, you know, most of the systems were built on that. And it's brilliantly done. Again, even if you mad, read it still just to educate yourself. It's brilliantly done, brilliantly done. The different um, essays um, are very well um, written and so much factual information and so much, you know, documentation. Like you can't argue with facts. I mean, people do because then there's such thing, you know, Donald Trump's administration said that there was such thing as alternative facts, which we know is crap. But anyway, so that was Chris Rock. Yeah, I didn't watch it. Don't plan on watching it. Um, not a fan. Just, you know, I, and like I said, I'm not mad that he was um, that he held out so long to talk about the Will Smith slap. But I just I don't think that his anger was directed in the right place. Be mad at Will Smith and be mad at Will Smith alone. He's the one that came up on stage and slapped you, you know, leave leave his wife out of it. However, Will Smith, whatever prompted him to do so, whatever he was dealing with emotionally, it, it was him. He had his he's a whole grown man. He has his own agency and that he chose to do that, you know, and of course he apologized for that. He had not acknowledged that he was wrong and, you know, dealing with some demons and all that other kind of stuff, which takes me to the Oscars. Um, not a whole, whole lot to say about it. This will be our last topic for this episode. Not a whole, whole lot to say about it. Like a lot of people, I'm sure are very disappointed that Angela Bassett did not win Best Supporting Actress for her um, role in Black Panther 2, um, Wakanda Forever, Jamie Lee Curtis, one for her role. What's the name of that movie? I've tried to watch it. I just 
um, it's it's got some really, really rated R stuff. So I can't watch that around uh, my daughter who sometimes is watching TV with us. Was it everything everywhere all at once? I'm, I did say it right. Everything everywhere all at once um, came out last year. Um, I, you know, so it follows this uh, main character, a Chinese American immigrant who must connect with the parallel universe versions of herself to prevent a powerful being. I'm reading this from Wikipedia from destroying the multiverse. And it's um, Michelle. Is, is it Yao? I'm mispronouncing her name and I apologize for that. And I've seen her in a million billion things. Um, she was in one of the iterations of Star Star Trek um, that was on uh, Paramount a couple of seasons ago. And she was really, really good in that too. Um, notwithstanding that James Bond movie that I saw her in. Like she's been in a lot of stuff. Um, but she won for Best Actress, the first Asian American actress to do so. Um, but yeah, a lot of people were disappointed with Angela. That Angela, not with her, but that Angela Bassett did not win when Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors came out to um, present an award, uh, Michael B. Jordan kind of coolly was like, hey, auntie. And Jonathan Majors was like, we love you. You know, that hey, auntie line is from the first Black Panther when he meets her for the first time, you know, to like kind of do the big reveal of who his his character really is um, and ha that he has a claim to the throne. If you haven't seen the first Black Panther, go see it. It's not a spoiler. It's kind of old at this point. As a matter of fact, I think it came out in 2018 and I was like, dang, it's been that long. Yeah, so that was like, for me, the only thing I was kind of like tuning in to see. And I wanted to know if um, Michelle Yao, I'm mispronouncing her name. I need to get a pronunciation of that lady's name. If she was going to win, and she did win. Jamie Lee Curtis, like I said, won. Um, uh, Brian Tyree, um, what's his last name? Tyree Henry. He was nominated in a Best Supporting Actor role. And he really does have a range. Um, he's in that um, FX show with Donald Glover. Atlanta, is it in its final season or did it already have its final season? I'm not trying to kick it off the air, but that's when I first got um, introduced to him. But he's he's got a range and um, he's received nominations according to Wikipedia for obviously Academy Award, two primetime Emmy Awards, a Screen Actors Guild and a Tony Award. He's been in a couple of things. And like I said, he's he's got quite a range. Um, in 2017, This Is Us. You know, that's that was some hot TV to be in. That was hot TV um, to be in that. Uh, is Atlanta still on? Okay, it ended last year. He was um, Paperboy um, in Atlanta. He was in um, Boardwalk Empire. He's got a couple of things there. An episode of Law and Order back in 2009. So, you know, that's my homie. That's my favorite show. Doom, doom. But he didn't win, unfortunately. Um, and then beyond that, I really wasn't that interested in the Oscars. I didn't watch it. I was just looking for the updates on my phone. Um, Rihanna did perform. She looked good um, singing her song. Um, and then other than that, I was just looking at the fashion like everybody else. You know, we call ourselves, you know, the fashion police. Everybody wants to take Joan Rivers' spot. I used to watch that show. Sometimes I think she got it right. And sometimes I think she got it totally wrong. Like, yeah, no. I mean, and I know I'm not a Hollywood designer or whatever like that. Speaking of Hollywood fashions, we're ending the podcast on this. So two things. First, the um, the Oscars, um, the, the big Vanity Fair after party for the Oscars. Everybody goes and they take the picture on the big circle, whatever. So Sierra was, you know, pretty clothless in a picture in her um after Oscars outfit that she wore with her husband, Russell. Um, but so were a couple of other actresses. They were in various um, ensembles that left very little to the imagination. 
um, I won't necessarily call names because I, I I just have pictures in my phone of the actresses, not their names, but or you know you know Hollywood types or whatever. But this one chick whose picture I thought was the outfit, I was just a little, I was confused. Um, she's got on this long white skirt that kind of starts at her hip bone, but it goes you know it's floor length. Um, looks like you know very satiny type material and she's a very thin actress but she just has like what looks like and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating here like like a large panty liner like across her breasts it's and that's it that's it and like something covering up her nipples and that's that's about it and then I'm looking at at least two other um Hollywood actresses starlets or something that have on rather, you know, sheer outfits, kind of like Sierra's too, but a lot, I've seen a lot of backlash about Sierra's. Like, but these other chicks, y'all, what, why y'all messing with her? I mean, I, and again, I know this goes against my puritanical upbringing, <laughs> but Sierra didn't have three kids and she looks to be in amazing shape. I mean, if she likes it and she, obviously she does because she wore it it's an after party. It ain't the Oscars itself. It's not like she showed up on the stage half naked. You know, we've seen that before, you know, but I mean, do you all remember what Cher wore? I'm telling my age when she won back best actress for Moonstruck some years ago. And it was, it had this real big um, headdress with it. I think it was a Bob Mackie, a look, please don't beat me up because I know who designed that outfit. <laughs> um, but she had like a kind of a shawl or, some kind of um like a like I want to say a cloak or something like that on top of it because underneath it it looked like a Vegas showgirl outfit like and that's what she wore to the actual awards look that up look that up now that's been a while ago I think it was Moonstruck no Moonlight there was a movie recently called Moonlight right and then I think Cher won her best actress award for Moonstruck yeah but anyway look that up when what Cher's like Vegas showgirl kind of outfit looks like that she wore to the Oscars anyway I guess my point is who cares like whatever who cares why y'all beating up on Sierra she looks good I, I saw somebody on uh social media talking about if I was her husband and you're not end of story <laughs> period you know, somebody was saying, look at his face. He's not happy with what she wore, but they're both there. Doesn't matter. Like, he doesn't dictate to her what she wears. Now, I, I shouldn't say that because maybe he does. I don't know what their relationship's like. But, you know, this notion that, you know, spouses get like final say over what the other one wears. What year is this? Y'all still running marriages like that? I shouldn't criticize, right? I just, for me, it's the mistreatment of women. That's the that's the problem that I have with it. You know, if that's how y'all if that's how y'all get down in y'all marriage, and that works for you, fine. I, I don't mean to criticize it from that perspective, but what it sounds to me like is, you know, patriarchy. Like, you know, some husband has final say over what his wife wears. Are you kidding me? And again, it's just the wrong decade for that. And then lastly, and I just saw this, like honestly, moments ago, I just saw this. Um, Law Roach, um, huge Hollywood um, stylist. Um, if you've been watching Zendaya here recently in the last, I guess, year or so, her looks have been knocking it out the park. And she's not um, his only one, not the only um, Hollywood, um, you know, A-lister that he styles, but she's definitely one of the big ones that I can, um, that comes to mind. But between a Law Roach and what's his name? Jay Bolin. Um, 
uh, who always knocks out knocks it out the park for um, Sarah Jakes Roberts. It, it, listen, I have not seen that girl have a bad preaching day yet. First of all, her last message was phenomenal. Is it Glory Triggers? <laughs> yeah, we got a, a, a title in common. Glory Tr Triggers. I think she preached out like two weeks ago now, maybe a week ago. It is a phenomenal message. If you haven't heard that, look that one up on YouTube. But she always looks wonderfully put together. Um, her uh, stylist and her makeup person, I mean, they always knock it out the park too. And then who's my other one? Whoever has been styling Quinta Brunson. Oh my God. Wait, I got to look them up. Quinta, oops. Quinta Brunson's, Brunson's stylist is um, a guy named Brian Javar. Man, I mean, like, I have been salivating over her pictures. And um, apparently he's also been uh, styling just here recently, um, Patty, La Patty LaBelle looking amazing, uh, amazing. But when I tell you every stinking seagull look that I have seen for Quinta Brunson during this award season, just amazing. Oh, is he doing Marseille too? Marseille Martin? Huh. Crazy. But between the three of them, like I just, I just can't. I, I, I cannot. I just, man. And to see, so, what happened here? I just totally brought it up, and then I didn't like explain it. My bad. Um, Law Roach um, put out um, just today uh, on his um, Instagram page that he's retiring. He said, "My cup is my cup is empty." Thank you to everyone who supported me in my career over the years. Every person that trusted me with their image. I'm so grateful for you all. If this business was just about the clothes, I would do it for the rest of my life. But unfortunately, it's not. The politics, the lies, and false narratives finally got me. You win. I'm out. Um, just, but like, did he style all these people? Oh, he's, oh, he styled the chick with the, with the panty liner dress. Oh, <laughs> Oh God, her name is Hunter Schaefer. Is this, is she like some famous supermodel's daughter? Now listen, this ain't my cup of tea. This is definitely, it, it, it just looks like, but he also, I think, um, style, did he style Megan, Megan, Megan Williams? Meg the Stallion, did he style Meg the Stallion? I know he styled Kerry Washington. Um, in that Mark Bauer dress that she wore, it's a red dress. If you look on his um, his um, Instagram page, is Luxury Law, and he did a collaboration with um, I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Hervé Leguerre? The bandage dress. Remember that was super popular about maybe a decade and a half ago, and he had a collaboration with them to like rebrand um, the company. But yeah, these pictures of um, Zendaya are just phenomenal. The Zendaya looks killing every time. It's kind of sad though to see. I'm, I'm streaming, uh, strolling through, scrolling, strolling, scrolling through his um his timeline. I was very sad to see that though. Um, And I don't have any idea the amount of pressure that he must have been under, especially during this award season um, and the number of clients. And like you said, the false narratives, I haven't heard anything. Um, I mean, but who am I? I'm not on the up and up and up in the know of the Hollywood fashionistas that it's not my cup of tea. I'm just here on uh, Facebook and Instagram scrolling. But yeah, unfortunately, that's unfortunate. That's a loss to that industry though, because his his approach has been fresh and 
you know, outside of the panty liner um, look, um, I, I've liked a lot of his work. I mean, and like I said, Wazendaya has just been beautiful, phenomenal. Um, but God only knows, and he knows um, um, law, apparently, you know, what he's had to deal with and the amount of pressure that he's been under. Um, just, oh, did he do that other look? Oh, there was another kind of like iconic look. I know he did. Um, I don't I don't think it was him. But anyway, I was I was kind of sad to see that and sad that, you know, that, you know, that, that it's kind of come to that for him. Oh, my God. Jesus. There is this one look that he did for. And I saw this picture earlier because Lindsay Lohan apparently is pregnant. You remember her from the parent trap and you know, Mean Girls movie. Um, there was this one look that he did for her back in November of last year. It's color blocking, but it's like literal blocks on this long pantsuit, green, yellow, and red. It looks so good. And then she had this little like color block, like almost like Rubik's Cube blocks. He did this um, color blocking. Yeah, he had a collaboration uh, with Hervé Leger. I don't know how to pronounce it. Hervey Ledger. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's French. I was trying to give you my good French accent there. But yeah, um, did he style her? A breath of fresh air, but unfortunately he is deciding to um retire. Whether whether or not he'll stay retired, we don't know. But you know, you know, thoughts and prayers. And I don't mean that in a stark sarcastic way. I really don't. But yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Some very interesting styles I saw. Oh, I know it was one more. Tim's. Huh. Last topic. This is still related to the Oscars. So she wore this beautiful, like it almost looked like a work of art, this beautiful white gown that um, kind of looked like a, almost like a cloud. Like there was a, like an arch behind her, like the dress, like I said, it was, it wasn't just a dress part like the gown part, but there was like this part of it that came up and arched behind her and it was white and it just looked so good on her. Um, so anyway, there's a couple pictures that came out, you know, her red carpet photos, just fabulous. But there were a couple pictures of her at the actual Oscars where she's sitting and people behind her are having a hard time uh, seeing. And so I've seen a couple of memes and they're pretty accurate. It's like, oh, yeah, welcome to Sunday morning Easter service at a black church with all the mothers and their Easter hats. I was like, that ain't nothing. Go to Memphis, the Church of God in Christ convention. Go to Memphis where all them women wear them big old fancy hats. You can't see nothing and they can't either because <laughs> they're heavy and they're probably weighed down a little bit. But anyway, so then I saw some like, you know, and I use this term loosely, backlash. Like she shouldn't have worn that to the Oscars. She should have been considerate of who may have been sitting behind her. And I mean, like people went all the way there. Like what if someone was hearing impaired and they couldn't see the person who's doing the translating? I was like, isn't there a special section for them to sit though? I don't think it would be there. Like if there's a translator, you know, who's doing um, American Sign Language, wouldn't that wouldn't they be seated in that area so they could see that person? You know, and then I saw some a couple of other comments that said like, hey, you know, black people have been shut out of a lot of stuff. So here we go. They shut out the Oscars anyway this year. So whoop, there it is. So if people behind her is getting shut out, too bad. And then one picture from somebody peeking out on the side happens to be a black guy. It's like, oh, well, there weren't that argument. But I was like, it's it's the Oscars. You literally come over the top. You're supposed to. I mean, because you're trying to generate publicity for yourself and for your brand and for your music in her case, or for your product or whatever it is that you do. Like, y'all really making a big deal out of this because she wore a big, fabulous dress to the Oscars? Child, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm being selfish and self-centered. Wear it again. Girl, bye. <laughs> Who cares? I don't, 
I don't know. I thought it was a beautiful piece. Um, I didn't care that she wore it in black, black folk. I saw somebody post this uh, other meme like, y'all not trees. You can move. <laughs> and I get it. I know there are assigned seats at the Oscars. I understand that. I don't care. I'm glad she wore it. She looked fabulous. The end. All right. That takes me to the end of this particular episode. I appreciate you sticking around and listening to me. I hope I said something that interested you. And I promise to be back again next week. Um, I'm sure our plates are going to be full of more interesting um, topics to discuss. Um, in the meantime, stay classy. Um, try not to get triggered. But if you do, that's okay. Seek out some help. It's all right. And thanks for stopping by. <laughs>